0: Hey, this is Nicole, and you're listening to the Hippie Haven podcast. If you're wondering where Callie is, she's been really sick all week and lost her voice. Uh, but I'm her assistant and podcast producer, just filling in to record this introduction piece. But the interview you'll be hearing today was recorded by Callie several weeks ago. A quick reminder, our zero waste business, Bestowed Essentials, is in the running for a $50,000 small business grant from FedEx. This grant would allow us to move to a more accessible location in our downtown Rapid City area, quadrupling our production capabilities and store space, providing more local jobs, expand our bulk ingredient section and our product line by stocking other female-owned eco-businesses, as well as being able to offer more community resources like secondhand clothing and item swaps, educational workshops related to environmentalism, recycle and compost, drop-off bins, and to produce additional content for this Hippie Haven podcast to continue spreading the word of a low-impact lifestyle to our worldwide audience. In order for us to win this grant, we need you to vote for Bestowed Essentials every day through April 1st, which is coming up soon. The link to our voting page is in the show notes app for this episode, right here on this podcasting app where you're listening to this. And we're also posting a daily reminder in our Instagram stories with an easy swipe up to vote. So if you're not already following Bestowed Essentials on Instagram, please do so that you remember to vote every day. Today's guest is Robin LaCrosse, a holistic health practitioner who specializes in women's reproductive health. She's been teaching natural birth control methods for over 25 years, and she is passionate about making sure every young woman grows up knowing and understanding her body. Robin is on a mission to reduce unintended pregnancies and the spread of STDs in the world by changing the way mothers talk to their children about puberty and sex. Today, Callie and Robin are talking about natural birth control as a way for you to take control of your own reproductive health to save money and to make less waste. Whether you already have kids, don't ever want to have kids, or are currently trying to have kids, there's something for everyone in this episode, men included. And if you, like Callie and Robin, have known since a young age that being a mother isn't part of your life plan, definitely stay tuned near the end of the episode where they talk about tubal ligation, how difficult it is to find a doctor who respects your decision, and what they've both done to prevent unintended pregnancy. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode on Callie's website, com slash 031. This episode is sponsored by Little Lentil, an online marketplace for organic and sustainable baby clothing. They use certified organic cotton, fair labor practices, 100% renewable energy, and they support environmental initiatives as a member of 1% for the planet. You can cut down on textile waste by sending back your outgrown Little Lentil clothes and get 50% off your next purchase. Their Loved Again program offers those pre-loved quality organic baby clothes at over half of the price of new items. Shop their new and pre-loved sustainable baby clothes by visiting littlelentilclothing.com and use Hippie20 at checkout to save 20% off your first order. As always, thank you for supporting our podcast partners and helping us keep the mic on. Now for today's episode. Can you start by explaining
1: the menstrual cycle?
2: Yes. So menstruation is this amazing and wonderful thing that happens to girls during puberty and continues all through our fertile years. And unfortunately, it has kind of a bad rap, you know, when I remember growing up um, and watching movies and stuff, this is back in the 80s. And, you know, it was called things like the rag or aren't flow or, you know, just like, you know, things that weren't positive, you know, just really derogatory and kind of set up the whole stage to, as a young girl, like going into it, like kind of dreading this whole thing. And really, you know, when I, when I got a little bit older and started learning more about the menstrual cycle and how fertility works, I discovered that menstruation is actually just a small part of this amazing Cycle that women go through every month where we have the opportunity to create life we have, um, you know, all this creative energy life force within us which doesn't necessarily have to be used for making babies we can use that creative energy in lots of different ways and unfortunately girls really don't grow up you know hearing this piece of it you know it's like they get the mechanics oh you're going to you know bleed every month and you're going to need to use tampons or pads or whatever and so it's just really you know i think we could really shift the way we think about menstruation and
1: what are the other parts of the menstrual cycle besides just the bleeding part of it
2: the menstruation part of the menstrual cycle is when a woman's hormones are at their lowest And after menstruation stops, there's what we call the the pre-ovulatory phase. So this is like the part of the cycle where the hormones start to build up. So there's the follicle-stimulating hormone, which stimulates our ovaries and causes some eggs to develop. And as the eggs are developing in the ovary, this causes an increase in estrogen in our body. And once the estrogen reaches a certain point, there is a surge of what's called luteinizing hormone. And that causes the most ripe egg to finish ripening and ovulate while it's suppressing the other eggs so that we only will release one egg during a cycle or in cases of um, women who have, um, you know, a tendency in the family towards twins or maybe triplets or something, sometimes an extra egg or two might be released, but generally this all happens at the same time. And so as the, the luteinizing hormone is suppressing the, the other eggs and the estrogen levels are rising, basically what happens is all of a sudden at the midpoint of the cycle is ovulation. And this is where we can conceive and um, become pregnant. And then after ovulation occurs the egg is viable for about 12 to 24 hours where it can be fertilized and if fertilization does not occur then we go into the you know post ovulatory phase which is where the hormones will shift so the estrogen levels drop down a little bit and the progesterone levels start to rise and the reason that this happens is because if ovulation did result in fertilization, then the progesterone is necessary in order to, you know, finish preparing the uterus to receive the egg and will nourish a pregnancy until the placenta takes over later in pregnancy. And so when ovulation doesn't resort uh, resort in fertilization, then again, the progesterone levels rise. And that comes from the the end, the injury the hole left behind in the the ovary it's called the corpus luteum and that is what pre- secretes the progesterone and so um, as the uh, the hormones shift and if fertilization you know if you know there was no fertilization and no implantation then the corpus luteum heals over and the hormone levels drop and then we result in menstruation. So, there's the menstruation part, which is the most obvious. Then there's the preludial phase or the pre-ovulatory phase. And then we have ovulation and then the post-ovulatory phase, which leads into menstruation again.
1: And so, con- conception can only happen on certain days, not every day of the month
2: or of the cycle. Right. There has to be certain conditions in place for ovulous, um, you know, for fertilization to occur. And the trick is that while there's only a short window where the egg can actually be fertilized, as the estrogen levels rise in the pre-ovulatory phase, it changes the, the cervical fluids will start to increase and become more fertile. And the fluids in our body basically create an environment where it's more friendly to sperm. And so sperm can live for, you know, almost, you know, about a week or so um, leading up to ovulation. And so if someone wants to avoid getting pregnant, then it's important to avoid having sperm, you know, in around the vagina, you know, before ovulation occurs. And the thing to know is that ovulation is not set in stone. Like even if you have a, a really regular cycle that there's certain things that can happen, you know, like in your life, like say stress, illness, travel, um, where it might, you know, cause ovulation to happen a little earlier, might happen a little bit later. Um, And so in order to avoid getting pregnant, it's important to make sure that sperm does not get inside and into the cervical fluids um, so that they can kind of hang out and wait for the egg to arrive. Now,
1: what are the health risks of hormonal birth control?
2: Well if you read the label, there can be a lot of risks. Um, I mean, you can have blood clots, you can have a stroke, you can die. Those are some of the more serious side effects, Um, you know, deep vein thrombosis, these types of things. But, you know, while those tend to be fairly rare, they can also have a lot of more subtle side effects, like um, it can affect your sex drive, it can affect your moods, it can cause weight gain. Um, some women experience bloating or other side effects. So it tends to affect people differently. Um, you know, I was on them when I was, you know, in my teenage years. And for me, it didn't really produce any negative side effects. Um, my period was lighter, Um it only lasted a few days instead of, you know, five or seven days. So, you know, it's, I personally, um, I feel like it kind of like disconnects me from my creative side. And so when I got into my 20s, and not wanting to be on the pill anymore, I started exploring, you know, what else can I do? And that's when I discovered, you know, all these things about my body, like I could learn to tell when I was ovulating and it was really, it was pretty magical. I was like, wow, you know, like this stuff is amazing. You know, it's like, I wish my mom had known this stuff to teach me when I was younger because I just found it incredibly fascinating and, and was, you know, just thought to myself, like, how different would our lives be if we grew up with a, you know, a knowledge and a deep understanding and appreciation for our bodies, our cycles, and all these amazing things that it's doing over the course of the cycle.
1: Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, we aren't learning a lot of important things like that relating to our bodies in school or even from our parents necessarily.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Why is it important for our health and well-being to not suppress
2: ovulation? I think that, well, one thing that, you know, birth control pills um, do, for example, is they do suppress the hormones. And for some women it can be you know a lifesaver. like if you have like say endometriosis or ovarian cyst, you know, it can make life bearable kind of thing, you know because sometimes the symptoms of natural menstruation can be very uncomfortable and de- uh, you know debilitating. But in general, for the most part, I think that women benefit from cycling naturally because you get to tap into, you know, that energy of the cycle. Like when you're around ovulation, we tend to be more upbeat. Estrogen kind of gives us a lift, a boost. We may feel more sexy, more energetic, and we can learn to tap into like these different ebbs and flows of our hormones and, you know, kind of you can model your life kind of around that, you know, like during menstruation, maybe you feel more quiet and want to spend time alone versus when you're ovulating, you might feel more energetic and outgoing and want to be out with friends and doing different things. And so there's that piece of it. And then, you know, just, I think, allowing your body to do its thing naturally, there's a lot to be said about that, rather than trying to suppress and control, um, you know, what our bodies are doing.
1: And what is the fertility awareness method?
2: So a fertility awareness is a collection of techniques that can be used to monitor your fertility. They do take practice, but you can learn, you know, once you learn the, you know, like what is normal and natural for you, then it becomes kind of second nature. And so there's like a, there's a bit of a learning curve, but as I mentioned before, the cervical fluids or sometimes called, you know, fertile mucus those, um, you know, will start increasing as ovulation approaches, and so that's a very common sign that people can look for to know that their, you know, that their fertility is increasing for that cycle. And then there's also the basal body temperature method, which is based on is basically what you're doing is you're taking your resting body temperature each morning. Um, you try to be consistent as far as in the morning, you know, before you get up, before you start doing anything to raise your body temperature. So what you're doing is you're recording the, the baseline resting temperature. And as you move through the cycle, you know, once ovulation has happened and the progesterone starts appearing, it starts to be produced. The progesterone causes a very slight elevation in your body temperature, which can be recorded on the thermometer. So a lot of people will use the combination of the cervical fluids with the basal body temperature to monitor their fertility so basically you know the the cervical fluids let you know that ovulation is is coming that you're becoming more fertile and then once the basal body temperature once the temperature spikes then you know ovulation is complete and then for the rest of the cycle you're not fertile and so for those who are not using condoms who don't wish to get pregnant um, then at that point of the cycle, you know it's you're basically you're non-fertile until menstruation comes around. And some people, um depending on the length of your cycle, um, menstruation, because there's that increase of fluids, um, there they may mask the cervical fluids. And so if you have a short cycle, some people, you know, can, potentially conceive during the end of their period because, you know, the sperm can get inside and hang out and inside the cervix, what we call the cervical crypts, which is where inside the cervix there's, that's the uh, the areas that the mucus is produced. And so the sperm can get up in there and kind of hang out and wait for the, the sperm or the, the egg to be released. There's other methods too, but those are the main two. Um, another one that I used to do because the basal body temperature didn't Work very well with my psych, uh, with my lifestyle was cervical observation, and so what I would do with that was I would use a plastic speculum to look at my cervix each day and see um, the os, which is the opening of the cervix, and that's spelled o s, and that's a it's a Greek word meaning opening and so basically i would watch the opening of my cervix and then i could also see the cervical fluids and so i would you know test the cervical fluids between my fingers and you know for consistency stretchiness this kind of thing and then by looking at the os and again this is stuff that you learn about your body over time so you do this practice consistently over time and you learn what your body's doing by doing a variety of these different methods so that you can learn what your cervix looks like when you're ovulating, when you're done ovulating as ovulation is approaching. And so I found that as a very um, helpful and reliable method to to tell what was going on with my cycle. And once ovulation has occurred, the cervical fluids, they change pretty rapidly um, and they tend to dry up right away type thing. So it's it's been a very interesting experience, one that I found very empowering and enlightening. How long
1: should you be tracking that data before you can use those methods to avoid pregnancy?
2: I encourage people, if you're learning on your own, to do it for a minimum of six months. If you have um, an instructor or somebody who's knowledgeable about this um, working with you, then three to four months depending on your cycle if you tend to cycle pretty regularly um but what i found is a lot of times you know as you start to gain confidence sometimes people get a little overconfident too soon type thing and then that can sometimes run into trouble
1: and what's the best way to keep track of the data so that you know when you are and are not fertile
2: I personally like to do it on paper and I encourage my clients to start out on paper um, just because I want them to learn on their own. Um, I know that there's a lot of fertility apps, there's menstrual tracking apps, this kind of thing. And some of them them are pretty good. A lot of them are basically computerized versions of the rhythm method, which is an educated guess as to when you're fertile. For somebody who doesn't want to get pregnant, I'm not real comfortable with educated guesses when it comes to fertility, Um, even with, you know, a pretty regular cycle. Because I, you know, I've been doing this for over 25 years and my cycle has been very regular, but, you know, at the same time, every once in a while, I don't know, the moon and the stars are aligned in some crazy way. I have no idea, no explanation why, but like I'll ovulate really early and have a short cycle or occasionally, you know, I've had times where I've been traveling and like skip two periods, you know, kind of thing. And, and so it's, you know, so sometimes you just never know. And so I do like um, to encourage people to learn on paper first, that way you have the experience, you can see it, you know, at a glance kind of thing. And I like tracking it over time. And so I had this, um, one calendar, just, it was more for fun than anything else, but it was like, like a a lunar calendar where you have like all the, the the moon phases for each day. And then like, I would color them in like when I was bleeding. And so over the years, I could see like how my cycle would shift over the months, um, over the years kind of thing. And it was, it was kind of it's kind of cool.
1: I've heard of people syncing their cycles up to the moon.
2: Is is that possible? Is that something that you recommend doing? Um, I never really tried to do that myself. Um, I would observe, like, did I tend to, you know, bleed more with a full moon, with a new moon, kind of thing. And for me personally, I tended to bleed more with the the full moon rather than the new moon, and. Today, because we live in such a brightly lit environment, um, you know, like a lot of us live in urban areas, um, so we don't necessarily have the moonlight, you know, coming in type thing. I think it can be challenging for people to line it up with the moon, but if you can and you want to, go for it, you know?
1: And so for people with irregular periods, what do you recommend for them to to manage their fertility?
2: Um, For people who have irregular cycles, it does um, become more challenging to use these methods. So in general, you know, I I tend to, um, you know, suggest a more cautious or conservative approach, Um, you know, especially if somebody really doesn't want to get pregnant, then I encourage them to protect themselves until they can confirm that ovulation has definitely happened. And the best way to do that is probably using the basal body temperature method, because that is, you know, an actual confirmation that yes, ovulation did happen. And I would suggest, you know, using herbs to see if you can help bring some balance. And, um, you know, some people they have, you know, it's normal for them to have a longer cycle. Some people it's normal for them to have a shorter cycle. And when you do track your cycle, you can learn a lot about that. You know, if you have For example, if somebody wants to conceive and they have a very short luteal phase, which is the period after, you know, the time period after ovulation occurs, if that's like less than say 10 days or so, then it's going to be hard to maintain a pregnancy because the progesterone hasn't had enough time to prepare the uterus to receive the egg. And so it can be difficult to maintain the pregnancy. So it's, you know, for anybody who's having difficulty conceiving, it can be very, um, informative to track your cycle in that way but for somebody who has irregular cycles if there's a reason for it you know like if there's polycystic ovaries or something like that then taking steps to help balance that out by you know monitoring your diet if there's you know weight concerns addressing those um and then working with herbs or with a practitioner who is familiar with, you know, natural ways to address these kinds of concerns will be helpful too.
1: And with herbs that are known to affect fertility, what herbs are used um, as birth control and how effective are they at preventing pregnancy?
2: Probably the best one that I know about is Queen Anne's Lace, which is sometimes also called wild carrot seeds. Um, there's a couple herbalists uh, who are very familiar with this herb. Um, one is uh, Misha Schuler, and then the other is Robin Rose Bennett, who is basically the person who I think of as like the go-to expert around that. Um, I think when using herbal contraceptives, it's very useful to have a good understanding of your cycle. They tend to be very precise in how they need to be used. And so again, for somebody who absolutely doesn't want to get pregnant, I would hesitate to recommend them just because I do know people who have gotten pregnant while using them and i've also known people who have you know gone for periods of time without getting pregnant but again you know if if you're really not wanting to get pregnant then it's probably not the best choice for somebody to use and some people may may disagree with me with that and you know like i said again it's you know they're very precise they have to be used you know consistently and correctly in order to prevent pregnancy
1: and are there herbs that men can use?
2: There's been a little bit of research mostly coming out of China and India. and at this time, I would say that there's probably not enough research and you know consistent proof of them being effective, so I wouldn't necessarily um, try to rely on those.
1: Gotcha. Now, is it possible to get pregnant while breastfeeding?
2: It is possible. Um, It depends on when ovulation returns. It's important to know that ovulation comes first and menstruation comes second. So um, like when a girl goes into puberty, ovulation happens first and then menstruation follows the same with breastfeeding. So ovulation will happen first and then menstruation follows. So it's like you don't get a warning necessarily that your cycles returning and breastfeeding can be challenging because like there's a lot of fluctuation in the hormones. So you might start getting the cervical fluids um, and they may or may not result in um, ovulation until the point where your cycles do actually return. So ovulation does actually happen. So there might be like a few times where it's like starting to get closer, but doesn't quite happen. And then things kind of settle down and then it tries again. And and kind of thing. So, and it depends too on how frequently you're breastfeeding. So the more often that you breastfeed, you know, the less likely ovulation is to return. But, you know, if you absolutely don't want to get pregnant, then it's, you know, especially if you don't have any previous experience with charting your cycle and that type of thing, then it's probably best to use uh, protection just to, to make sure that you're not having babies back to back because that can be really hard on on your body.
1: How effective or ineffective is pulling out?
2: It can't, there's different, there's different schools of thought on it. And, you know, if you trust your partner, if your partner has very good control, um, doesn't tend to seem to have, um, you know, a lot of pre-ejaculatory release before orgasm, which is something that you would have to, you know, learn about, he'd have to learn about his body in advance type thing then it can be very effective. It absolutely reduces your risk of pregnancy. Is it a foolproof way? Probably not. I know a lot of people who have gotten pregnant while using it, but you know, I've used it myself, um, to, with no problems. And, um, so yeah, it, it depends on, you know, the man and his body and how good his control is, whether or not there's pre-ejaculatory fluid. If you happen to have a microscope, you know, you could always, you know, take a, a sample of pre-ejaculatory fluid and check it under a microscope and see if you see any sperm there. Um, so yeah, again, it's it's one of those things, what I, what I like to call your, you know, your risk, um, your risk, uh, basically your risk ratio, like how much risk are you willing to take to get, you know, to, you know, as far as like getting pregnant goes, like some couples would welcome a baby and it's no big deal. And other, you know, women are like, yeah, no, not at this time. So if you're, you know, absolutely opposed to getting pregnant right now, then, you know, the more precautions you take, the better. And, you know, if somebody was practicing fertility awareness and withdrawal um so like say for example avoiding uh, unprotected sex during you know the pre-ovulatory phase like say the fertile phase like in the week or so that leads up to ovulation if there's no unprotected sex at that time that's you know good and then if like say for example going kind of backwards is like say during menstruation, you're using withdrawal um, up until the point of where you think you're starting to see a change in the cervical fluids, then, you know, you're probably going to have a good method as far as like something, you know, that's pretty sound, you know, foolproof. I hesitate to word, use the word foolproof, but you know a pretty sound method to avoid getting pregnant if you're using withdrawal up until the point of where you're starting to see the the fertile fluids and then abstain during that week or so, and then afterwards, um, you know after you've confirmed ovulation is done, then if you still practice withdrawal, then that's great. If you don't, then you're you know if you've confirmed that ovulation has has happened then even if you're not using withdrawal and he's ejaculating inside you, that you know you still won't get pregnant because as long as you've confirmed that ovulation has happened.
1: Something that I've heard that hopefully you can clarify for me is that it might not necessarily be a good idea to use the pull-out uh, withdrawal method during back-to-back sexual intercourse because sperm can stay like, in his penis and then that's the rest of it is coming out in the next pre ejaculatory fluid, and so it makes it less effective if you're doing it back to back. Is that correct?
2: So when you say back to back do you mean like say sex twice in the same day or-
1: yeah exactly
2: um yeah if 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 there's been ejaculation, um then I probably would abstain you know if um you know if he's had time to like urinate and kind of flush out the pipes type thing um that will reduce the risk kind of thing. But again, if you like absolutely, positively don't want to get pregnant, then it's probably safer to, um, you know, use a condom or something or some sort of barrier method. Gotcha.
1: Now, and this is a, a pretty in-depth question. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the most effective method of birth control is sterilization, which for men is a vasectomy and for women, it's um, tubal ligation. Am I saying that right? Yes. Okay. Um, For me, I've known since the age of eight that I personally do not want to have children at all. And I've requested to get my tubes tied by several different doctors in several different states since the age of 21. I'm now 25. But I've been told no every single time. because I'm considered too young to make that permanent decision and or because I'm unmarried. And a doctor has literally asked me like, but what if my future husband wants kids? So besides the fact that it's 2019 and adult women still don't necessarily have control over their own bodies, do you have any recommendations or resources for women who want to get their tubes tied but have been unable to find a doctor willing to perform that procedure for them?
2: Yeah, it's definitely an issue. And yeah, I've been talking to women about this ever since i started talking about this. And, you know, it's interesting how doctors think that because we're young that we don't really know what we want. But I've always been very clear that I didn't want children either. And so, you know, it's like, oh, well, what if your husband, you know, wants children? Well, it's like, well, guess what? I don't. And that's something that we're going to have to discuss. Or if that's a deal breaker, then maybe we won't be getting married, you know, kind of thing.
1: And and he's not the one carrying the child for nine months. Yeah. And, so. and
2: women are the primary caregivers. And if there's a divorce, women tend to be the ones who end up taking care of the child. And so, yeah, it's very frustrating. And I really don't have a good answer for that. Um, you know, an, a copper IUD is a great Alternative um, for someone. That's what I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, for my last of my fertile years, I decided to go with a a copper IUD for myself because my cycles were starting to get a little wonky. Um, And at the time I got it, my partner wasn't able to use condoms. And um, so we used withdrawal with, you know, good success. But I wanted, you know, additional protection because. You know, get, not being pregnant was very important to me. And so I got a copper IUD and I like it. You know, it hasn't given me any issues, any problems. I've had it for, I guess, eight years now. And um, it's been great. Oh,
1: I'm I'm actually really excited that it turns out you have one as well, because that's something that I did want to talk about, but didn't know if you'd have the experience with it. Um, and wasn't really sure if I could just ask like, hey, do you have an IUD? <laughs> Um, so I, I have one, I got mine in February of 2016. So I'm coming up on three years now and, um, I mean, getting it implanted was problematic and and it was very painful for the the next two days. But, um, besides that, besides those two days, it has been just life changing for me. It just makes everything's so less complicated knowing that it's there, it's really effective, um, that it's that backup for me. But there are a lot of misconceptions. A lot of people are scared about getting it. You hear all these horror stories on the internet about like it puncturing through the uterus or whatever the case may be. So can you, can you help clear up some of those misconceptions? Is it really as bad as it sounds? Is it something that you do recommend other women consider getting?
2: Yeah, I personally, I, like I said, I like the copper IUD. I don't suggest getting the hormonal IUDs. Um, they don't last as long. Plus there's hormones, there's side effects kind of thing. And one of the things that I really appreciate about the copper IUD is it gives women the opportunity to learn about their cycles. So if you want to practice fertility awareness methods so that you can have like even more protection against pregnancy, you know, you can learn what your body's doing. And, um, you know, avoid unprotected sex, you know, during the, um, you know, the, the fertile part of your cycle or practice withdrawal during the fertile part of the cycle. So that's just an extra layer of protection kind of thing, which I really love that idea. And, you know, I know that some women, you know, don't do well with the IUDs, but for the most part, you know, they're they're very safe they you know back in the 70s they were not safe and so iuds got a bad rap and the reason that there was so many infections was because of the string that they were using was allowing bacteria to travel up into the uterus which they solved that problem so that's not an issue anymore um the design is i think better um than they used to be like you i'm sure everybody has seen pictures of the dalcon shield which that thing looks kind of scary there's like lots of pointy edges and things and i just can't even imagine how they would get it out kind of thing and so um i'm a little bit nervous about getting it out um when that time comes i've like i said have mine for eight years and um i knew that it would last me through um my menopausal years and so by the time i needed to get it out i i you know shouldn't be fertile anymore which my cycles have started, you know, have more or less gone away at this point. And so, um, yeah, so in another two years, when I have to get it out, I should be fully into menopause. And that should, you know, not be an issue anymore. But as far as, um, you know, the misconceptions and that kind of thing, I think a lot of those are remnants from the 70s. And for the most part, you know, they are very safe. And it's true, some women do have problems. But, you know, that can be, you know, that can happen with any kind of medical type thing. I mean, sometimes there are complications and there are some risks, but it's, you know, it's very safe. And then, you know, thousands, maybe millions of women. I don't know how many women are using IUDs these days, but I know in Europe, IUDs are very common. Um, here in the United States, they're becoming more common, especially with um, you know, Obamacare. We got to get them at no charge because um, IUDs tend to be very expensive. Like they were used to cost about $700 to get them. So it was a little bit cost prohibitive on the front end for women, even though it saves you money in, over the long term. Um, so I, you know, when I got mine, it was basically the last birth control method that I had not tried. Um, And so that was another reason for wanting to get one is because I wanted to have experience so I could, you know, counsel women about, you know, the pros and cons and, and yeah, I love mine. It's great.
1: Yeah. And what I've read is that IUDs have the highest user satisfaction of any form of birth control and that they're one of the most effective, like they're more effective than using condoms or taking the pill. So... Yeah, I would definitely recommend them. Now, to be clear, none of the birth control methods that we've discussed um, are applicable for preventing sexually transmitted infections, except for condoms, correct? That's true. Okay, perfect. Um, Just wanted to clarify that. So where can we go to learn more about natural birth control?
2: Well, I have a website that you can visit, and I have um, information there. And I also have... um, a program that I put together. It's an information product. So if people are interested, they can um, purchase that and learn all about the different methods, which it goes into detail on, you know, the, the cervical observation method, which is different than reaching in inside and just feeling like how high high your your cervix is or if it feels open or closed it's actually viewing the cervix and what that entails what the cervix looks like during different points of the cycle it talks about the basal body temperature method which you know i've used some over the years off and on but it was never my favorite because um when i was learning these things it didn't really Jive very well with my lifestyle because you have to, you know, get up at the same time, you know, wake up at the same time every morning and take your temperature, kind of thing. So if you have a regular schedule, then that's pretty easy to do. But if you don't, then that makes it more challenging. the The mucus methods are very important, um, you know, because that's real time information. And then there's other methods too, like there's like little microscope detector things that you can look at the crystallization in your saliva, which um, has pros and cons. Um, it's not necessarily something that I would use to to rely on per se, but it can be, you know, an interesting thing to add to, you know, the other things that you're observing. There's also um, test strips that you can use to monitor your luteinizing hormone level, which that gets expensive um, because that the luteinizing hormone is only present for such a short window; it could be missed kind of thing and it gives you no absolutely no warning for when ovulation is coming which is important because for somebody who doesn't want to get pregnant you need to keep the sperm out of and away from the vagina you know before ovulation occurs what is your website my website is um fertility diva diva is spelled d-e-v-a dot com perfect
1: and i'm sorry i interrupted you what were you gonna say
2: I was just saying that there's other, there's books and stuff too, that you can learn about fertility awareness. Um, You know, the most common ones that you'll hear about are, you know, the basal uh, symptom um, method, which is the basal body temperature and the cervical fluid observation.
1: Gotcha. Well, Robin, thank you so much for all of this information. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge with us.
0: And that's a wrap. Callie will be back next week with Marissa McClellan to talk about canning and how to preserve your food in jars. Don't forget to vote every day for Bestowed Essentials to win the $50,000 FedEx small business grant so that we can continue to spread sustainability in our local Rapid City community and around the world. The link to vote is in the show notes, and you can follow us on Instagram at Bestowed Essentials to get the daily reminder in our IG stories. Thank you so much for supporting the work we do, and have a great rest of your day.